Hey everyone, this is Jeff Stevens and this is the Creative Stick Up. How's it going out there? Um, I hope everyone enjoyed Design Week last week. Shout out to Tara Nesbitt and Mike Spikowski for uh, putting on a great show. I stopped by and did a couple things, but it's always a good time. So I hope everyone got out and had some fun. Um, this guest I've got this week, Casey Cordesmart. She, they say all politics is local. You've heard that again and again. And it's sort of interesting in this season of um, obsessive presidential campaign following a presidential campaign that is just spewing anger and hatred and whatever, that truly the decisions that probably affect your life on a day-to-day basis are made by your local government in your local town at your local um, neighborhood association. And that's where um, I met Casey through my wife, who's on the Neighborhood Association Board. Got to talk to Casey, found out what she did. She works for the U.S. Bank Corps' Community Development Corporation and um, closes deals to um, uh, incent private money into public affordable housing. And once we got into that, I learned that Casey knows a lot about local politics and a lot about what St. Louis, this city, needs for the next mayor and a lot about racism. She's also a volunteer um, on the Ferguson Commission, the volunteer force that is uh, set to enact some of the changes that the commission found. So she's really into all this stuff. And uh, as much as we think this presidential campaign is going to change our life one way or the other, if you look at your life under any president, like mine, it probably hasn't changed all that much. But your local government, that's where the real change happens. So our next mayor race, I would suppose in the spring, will be more important than this presidential race in your life. So enjoy my conversation with Casey Cortez Mart. don't think this and you work in creative like <laughs> like we're change resistant yeah okay but see i wouldn't have the same perspective that you would on the the machinations of city government is that what you mean when you say change resistance or do you just mean in general like both okay. government itself also like public opinion and the public sort of theory and willingness to advocate for change demanding yeah. more of their leaders i mean all of that stuff yeah do you think other cities, do you look at other cities and say they're really good at this and we're not? Or is it just something that no one's Often, really yes. Okay. Yeah. There are change-forward cities that just have it in their DNA to be... Yes, but they've also been fortunate to have, partially by election and partially, I don't know why, they've been fortunate to have innovative, visionary leaders yeah. who kind of call for more. And inspire. Yeah. Whereas we have not had that. Right. We have elected people for years, decades at times, mm-hmm. that I call milk toast. They're sort of the milk toast yeah. folks yeah. who just, you know, go out and cheer for the Cardinals game and sign the, you know, 
10-year abatement so that Lafayette Square can keep building new houses and then they go home. Yeah. And it feels sort of like that's just good enough. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. But, but just doing why, are, back, why yeah. are we okay with fine? Do you think, so if the, the next mayor election, which is next spring, mm-hmm. if we, a concerned citizen, what should I be looking for in a candidate? What, what should I be listening for? Is there any specific policies that you're like, yeah, these are the, these are the ones you need to be... Number one. Number one. Racial equity. Okay. Number one. That's the number one thing. And the leading candidates to date do not address this in any sort of enthusiastic, challenging, visionary way. Wow. And, and is there, in the political life, is it because that issue is so uh, inflammatory and it's such a hard one to wade into? Or is it just hard to get clarity on it or find a good policy for it or... I think a little bit all of the above, but more so I think that there's been such a generational shift nationwide Mm -hmm. relative to racial equity and not just spurred by police shootings, but spurred by lots of different things. Um, And when you look at some of the leaders in place in St. Louis right now, a lot of them haven't been so much a part of that conversation and a part of that generational mind shift. So for some of us who are younger, we kind of get it more and I'm not a millennial. I mean, I'm fully, I'm, I'm on the tail end of Gen X, but I fully identify with Gen X. So I'm not in the mindset of a millennial, but I have been fortunate to work in the social impact industry for over 10 years and have very much sort of thrown myself into learning about this stuff, talking about it. I'm fortunate to work at a place that is just all over racial equity as an issue. Um, So it's something that's become more comfortable for me, whereas most white people get totally freaked out to talk about race. Yeah. So... I would say that's true. Yeah. I would say that's true because we immediately feel uncomfortable that we don't have the knowledge or don't, can't keep it real, Right. And so, and so it feels, it's an immediate time. And I think, but I don't think that means that we don't want to. And I don't think that means, did you see that AT&T CEO the other day who came out with mm-hmm. this speech and really just, and as a brand person who observes these things, we were all commenting on how brave that was. Yep. For maybe one of the most conservative companies yep. in the world to have their CEO come out and say, hey, this is a real problem. Right. Like, we got to fix this. Mm-hmm. So what, so that was great. I mean, that was really like, yes, we, I think we all feel that way and it's great to dive into the conversation. What would, so where you were sitting having read all this stuff, what are the, what are the things that we need to know or how, what's the best way to get into this conversation? What are the best policies or tell me how we, how we could change us, change that, right? Yeah. Well, one of the things that we don't do very well, and I, I don't want to blame this on leadership, but it does take some kind of, at some level, some visionary leadership, whether it is civic or governmental or, or corporate or whatever, to kind of provide a forum and call people to a discussion okay. and have like a public discourse on this kind of issue. So St. Louisans generally are not sort of outspoken in wanting to address the history and future yeah. of racial segregation and, yeah. and race prejudice. Right. And so until we have people that are standing up and saying, this is critical, mm-hmm. it's important to be honest and honor the past and and accept what has happened here, mm-hmm. not just relative to slavery, but relative to Jim Crow and relative to 
you know, lynchings and, I mean, yeah. all manner of, of horrible things. Yeah. Um, white people need to get comfortable talking about that. Yeah. And, and for so many people, they're just afraid. Mm-hmm. They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. They start feeling guilty. You know, this is such a Catholic town and Catholics mm-hmm. are really good at, like, burying anything that's... <laughs> Not doesn't make them feel warm and fuzzy. Uh oh, we're bringing Catholic guilt up early. That's okay, good. I mean, I grew up Catholic. Yeah, so you're fair. Past tense, like grew up Catholic. <laughs> you the guilt. So like, I get it. Yeah. Um, but we need to just be sort of be open. I mean, yeah. yeah, this is sort of the future of how we engage in community. Yeah. And and having someone leading us in that conversation and creating safe space to talk about that stuff. I mean, is there anything that exists like that right now? What would that look like? Is it an online forum, a real physical space? So there actually is an ongoing forum. So I was fortunate enough to participate in a weekend-long anti-bias, anti-racism training last fall, about a year ago, at City Garden Montessori. And they brought in this national group that is expert at leading training on anti-racist sort of thought. And then City Garden has taken it upon themselves to host an ongoing series called Color Brave, where they allow the community to come together and talk about race. Okay. And it's like keeping it real. Yeah. And, and sometimes white people mess up and say the wrong thing. Yeah. And then we all kind of agree <laughs> that nobody's going to be perfect, and right. I'm not going to maybe say the right thing all the time. Yeah. But like, it's better to be open about it and kind of screw up sometimes yeah. and then apologize than to not say anything at all. Yeah. And continue denying that, like, this is a huge part of what's holding us back as a region. Yeah. So Th- This is a huge part of what's holding us back as a region. That's the same point the AT&T CEO made. This is a massive thing that's holding us back as a country. Mm-hmm. It's certainly holding us back as a region and as a city. Right. We have a real issue with this. And I, it doesn't feel like we've even taken the baby steps to get there, right? And so the next mayor race is going to be a big one. Yes. Correct? Is there, if you were going to advise a mayoral candidate, if you were going to say, this is really where you need to start, this is really the policies you need to put in place, these are the, this vision you need to articulate, because what would that, because you, you it, it, it sort of has to start from the point of, of the candidate themselves acknowledging the importance of the issue and that this issue is in many ways at the heart of all of our other issues. So all of the economic development issues, all the transportation issues, all of the incentive issues, all of the healthcare issues, like all of that stuff, this is so baked into all of that that if you don't address what's at the heart of it and drives the dysfunctionality and ineffectiveness of all that stuff, then you're kind of wasting your time trying to lure new companies here to create jobs because you're not going to end up figuring out a way to provide jobs to the people who really need jobs so that they can have a, a productive life and not maybe feel so 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 drawn to committing crime yeah. to be able to feed their families. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not rocket science. Right. <laughs> so and, and so I'm going to take a step back because let's figure out how you form this, this, this 10 years of working in this industry and how you've come to articulate this. So well, so you, you tell us what you do right now, and now you just don't you just you're in this thing. This is what you do every day, right? Yes. So I have been um, working for U.S. Bank CDC for almost ten years yeah. in affordable housing investments, mm-hmm. 
and over that time have both closed a bunch of transactions and now manage people that close transactions all across the country. So we see what affordable housing looks like sort of best practice-wise yeah. everywhere from San Diego to the furthest northeast we've, we've done a deal is upstate New York. Yeah. So all across the country in almost 50 states, um, we get that advantage of looking at how different municipalities kind of figure out affordable housing that works for them. Okay. So Definitely and everyone's not, different, I'm Yeah, sure. everyone's right. different. So it's a federal program, but yeah. it's sort of implemented differently in each state. And then depending on where the project is, specifically the local municipality can sort of throw in some more cash to make the project work. But then, of course, when they throw more cash at it, there are more strings attached. Right. So like Seattle and, and the whole state of Washington for a while really prioritized homeless housing because they wanted to eradicate homelessness. So they basically called for all projects that would be awarded tax credits to serve the homeless. So there are ways that, you know, the project varies um, across different states. But after working in a field for long enough, you not only feel like you know, and I'm by no means an expert compared to other people in the field, because there are people that have been doing this since the program um, came into existence in 1986. But... um, I feel like I have seen enough to kind of understand broadly the way the industry works and then also how the housing piece plays in, you know, into the overall health of a city. So how the municipality chooses to to advocate for its affordable housing to go here versus there, Mm -hmm. how it gets built, how it ends up, you know, the the importance of the long-term operation of the project, making sure that the people who live there are, you know maintaining it and, and acting in a way that creates a healthy community. Yeah. I mean, And that's an interesting thing. And we sort of talked about this the last time. Lots of communities are, are, are they scared of putting affordable housing near them? Yes. Right. Or it's a NIMBY, not in my backyard. NIMBY, not in my backyard. Yeah. And so when you do these projects, there's the, obviously there's lots of mechanisms to make sure that they're incredible. You want them to be incredibly successful. Well, Ron, absolutely right. I mean, that's the whole point of this is to be this right. So, what what is the when when you hear that? Not in my backyard. What do you then come in and say to these communities? Say, well, this is really so, what you get at. Like, right. So there's a as with so many things in the world, um, that sort of reaction speaks to ignorance. Yeah. In my view, mm-hmm. so the kind of housing that we invest in looks nothing like what you envision as, quote, Section 8 housing from 1980. Right. It's not that. Right. Um, There are times, for sure, when we are investing in renovation projects that take some of that housing and totally overhaul it so that it is physically and economically sustainable for at least 15 more years. Um, But the housing that we invest in is oftentimes the nicest housing in the entire market. So... It's very high-quality stuff. It's well-designed. These are, you know, fully units that could, in in many cases, be rented out as market-rate housing. Um, When people respond with a NIMBY perspective Mm -hmm. to affordable housing, that means that they really don't understand what we're building, why we're building it, how well-run it's going to be, how the public-private nature of these projects um, dictates, because I am a private investor on behalf of U.S. Bank, Mm -hmm. I come in and I need to make sure that the deal is structured and the partnership is structured so that the bank's investment is protected. 
And so I'm going to make sure that that project for the 15-year life of the deal is going to be nice yeah, yeah. because that's our deal. So, so there is a lot of ignorance. And it's a, it's a funky, weird industry. So I get why there's some ignorance. Yeah. But then again, I think it's like so many issues in the community where leadership can provide that vision and education mm-hmm. so that people can come to think about community assets a different way. For example, downtown St. Louis and, and the region as a whole, we have never been able to adequately address the needs of our homeless population. Right. And even understand from a really compassionate place the fact that these people are like oftentimes suffering from severe mental illness. Yeah, yeah. They're not just like bad people who quit their job and want to feed off of government cheese. I mean... So often you look at the statistics of who is homeless and a lot of battered women, a lot of veterans who are suffering from PTSD. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are people who are hurting. And the fact that we still have not collectively figured out what method and structure works for our community is not acceptable and speaks to, in a way, like... The fact that no one has led us there yeah. and, and the public is also, in a sense, not demanding it of our leaders. And people just don't understand the nature of, of the problem of homelessness and how it is, you know, in many ways you can look at. And homelessness is one of the, one of the classic arguments that I always um, go to when I, when I talk about the moral argument versus the economic. Yeah. So for me, from day one, I've wanted to work in social impact investing from a moral perspective. Right. Because if I'm going to use my professional talents, I better as hell be helping people. Yeah. Or else I just, what, why am I doing anything? Right. Um, and, and this is the, the ultimate doing well. Right. Exactly. Doing good. And, and it really is providing a true public good but it's also making the bank a decent amount of money. Sure. I mean, that's why banks do it. Right. So there is a moral argument for what we're doing, but like this phrase, there is clearly an economic argument. And if if anyone out there needs an economic argument as to why we should really figure out a complete sort of comprehensive plan to care for the homeless, mm-hmm. there are easy economic statistics that prove that as a society we save gobs of money by housing people and taking care of their health instead of incarcerating them, arresting them, imprisoning them. I mean, there's just there's clear evidence. Treating them medically with no insurance. Hospitals eating all those costs of people not being able to pay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. How, how, and so you'd mentioned St. Louis doesn't, you go to Seattle and they have a plan. Does it feel like other cities have this vision and uh, have taken care of homeless? There's leaders there saying, this is how we're going to treat it, and we don't have that. Um, I do not feel that we have that to at all to, a, to an acceptable degree. Okay. So there has been, there have been sort of fits and starts here. And mm-hmm. I don't mean to speak as if I'm an expert on yeah. homeless housing in St. Louis because yeah. I know California markets better than I know St. Yeah. Louis, but yeah. I know enough to know that there has not been collective action, yeah. collaboration on this issue amongst all of the people that touch this, this issue yeah. in the region. And that is not okay. Yeah. And you're saying, yeah, okay. Well, you're here to help. I know. Well, we have, so we have, you know, part of my, 
my ongoing kind of like mental tug of war is yeah. that the CDC is this building and, full and of so brain tell, power. Tell me, just tell me what the CDC. Tell, me, tell people because no one will know what this is. Right. It's called what? And so it's, it's this arm of the U.S. Bank. It's U.S. Bank it? Community Development Corporation, and I like to call us the tax credit people. The tax credit people. Yep. We've all heard of tax credits. Yep. It's, it's the incentive that governments use to get private money into public works. Right on. Okay. Yep. Okay. So the projects themselves in which the public money, in a sense, is invested are privately owned. Yes. But there is so much public incentive that every deal is a public-private partnership. Yeah, that's what they ultimately turn out to be. Yeah. So the CDC is now a total of 350 people, 275 of which are down the street from us on Washington Avenue. And it's like... A group of rock star people yeah, that yeah. are on the cutting edge of all sorts of community development finance structures. Yeah. And I know we were laughing about how all the people that you interview are creatives. Yeah. <laughs> and our closest ability to be creative is being financially creative. But that's it. Which is actually really flipping creative Insanely sometimes. Creative. More so, I will admit, on the new market side than on the affordable housing side. Okay. <laughs> but still, we get pretty creative. Totally. Um, when you, and there's so many, it's like creative thinking, it's creative problem solving. And you got it all yeah, it, I mean, That's what you do. It is. But that's all creatives do. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. It is. Matter, right? And yeah. it's, it is the, this, what I find interesting is there's this bank, these banks, that, you know, I don't know anyone who loves their bank right now, in general. I know. Just, they just have the worst it's reputation. It's been such They're a awful. bad week or two for banks. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they're just stupid. I mean, after the financial crisis, then last week in Congress, just stupid, you know. Yeah. Nobody loves their bank. And yet, there's this massive organization right here in the city that is doing really, really well. And mm-hmm. granted, they're making good money doing it. Yeah. But... When the right levers are in place, you right. can find these amazing doing well by doing good moments. And I think lots of brands and businesses can look at this model and say, wow, look, banks have figured this out to make money and do good. What mm-hmm. else can we do as brands in all kinds of ways mm-hmm. to change society, right? Well, this may be kind of a stretch connection, but I'll say that when um, the Ferguson Commission report came out and the economic perspective on racial equity was kind of bottom-lined in a way. Mm -hmm. The bottom line of the economic, what we are forfeiting economically is something like, I want to say $14 billion of economic activity based on racial inequity. So if we had a society in St. Louis... This is St. Louis. This is St. Louis. $14 billion in economic activity... Because, because all kinds of reasons. Right. Companies because move here. in a sense, because so many of the folks in our city are underemployed, unemployed, gotcha. uneducated, yeah. unable to contribute, wherein yeah. I'm sure they would most likely, maybe an assumption, but they would love to contribute. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are folks that, that really wish that they had more options and had grown up in a school district where someone cared a whole lot and they had books and they were safe and they, you know, had eaten breakfast so they could focus on what they were learning. Yeah. Um, so when you look at what, what we are missing out on and how as a society we could be doing well by doing good, Mm -hmm. that's sort of like the biggest picture of that perspective. Yeah. But but if the banking industry, so you were telling me you have 275 of these creative, super motivated people Mm-hmm. Right, that 
that are do, do they is there what else can we do with them right like sort of are, this, yeah these are badasses in this so this is partially world. why so there are definitely um, a good bit of those folks who are and not all those people are involved in creative structuring sure. of deals but yep. there are a, there are a good chunk of those folks who are serving on boards and out in the community yep. volunteering yep. but this specific perspective for me is what drove me to volunteer on this Ferguson initiative with yep. Urban Land Institute around the calls to action on community development and and using my nationwide base of knowledge to mm-hmm. try to benefit my local community. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's it definitely there are folks that are involved in the community, but I think we could be doing more, should be doing more. I know we have really started to be a local leader, kind of maybe a little bit quietly. Um, but it, but the but the noise is growing mm-hmm. around our racial equity work yeah. and how we've invited partners to participate in these ongoing anti-bias, anti-racism trainings. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, we've held so after that initial session, we've held and, and organized on our own three or four other sessions, kind of replicating that mm-hmm. so that more people could take advantage of yeah. it because it completely opened my eyes to a and whole what new... was it like what was the training were there things that surprised you about oh my just God. how you think every day that you just didn't Absolutely. see like oh my gosh I can't even believe this 110% really yep from that day on and I am married to a person of color like yeah. from that day on yeah. I processed news and daily interactions and general information differently totally different relative to race wow Totally. Just because it opened your eyes to yep. how there's just a bias. Well, I, it, I mean... Or just a way that information is... Absolutely. Perfect. I mean, I, I, I kind of knew some of it, but for example, I hadn't fully realized that the construct of race is just that. It's a construct. Mm-hmm. It's not a real thing. Right. I mean, the black and white thing, that, that um, dichotomy was created solely to put folks that look like me and you at right. an advantage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. and looking at the historical context and being educated by people who live and breathe this every day mm-hmm. was just a really powerful story that that gives you perspective on how the world works today. This was a day-long session. It was two and a half days. Two and a half days, right? Yeah. By facilitators from out of... Right. Someone, someone came in. From Michigan, just, yeah. Wow. So they do this around the country and... Um, and they do it just for anyone who wants to come, or city workers, or people who are involved in the community, or... Um, I think they kind of operate as a consultancy, but yeah. City Garden brought them in, and then... What was, what's the name of it? Their name is Crossroads. Crossroads, okay. Yep. So maybe they have something we can... Right? They're awesome. Yeah, I mean, they're, co- they're coming back here a few times, um, so I'm on the ongoing kind of working group yeah. regarding this. Yeah. This is this, Ferguson thing you volunteered for is how you got into all this. Um, sort of. Not exactly. It okay. kind of all came about at the same time. Right. So part of it is because Zach Boyers, our CEO, had been involved in conversations with the, the leadership of the Ferguson Commission and is now mm-hmm. on the board of Forward Through Ferguson, okay. the 501c3 that is has been born out of that commission's work. Yep. Um, and so he has been a really strong advocate and has inspired a lot of us at the CDC to dive into this work. Yep. And then that context gave me a little bit more reason and and kind of impetus to to then sign up to do my this big pro bono project with ULI where we're trying to figure out how to promote equitable community development. Okay. So and do you think 
the citizens of the city need to get some sort of training like that. Oh my gosh. How could we do that? Beyond. Like it couldn't be for two and a half days for everybody. It couldn't be. But what, what are the, what, is there a messaging strategy or something that comes out of that? There should be. Yeah. And I think that anyone who leads this city yeah. needs to have that type of education. Yeah. Um, I will say even the African-Americans who were with me in that training felt their eyes opened. Really? So it's so not to say the, that if we have a black mayor, yeah. that person doesn't need to be sort of put in the same frame. Of course, that person's lived experience is totally different than mine, and yeah. they probably know a heck of a lot more than I do. But I think understanding especially the regional context of race and, and what how Kinlock was, was developed and Belnor and all these places that grew out of redlining mm-hmm. and we've displaced massive neighborhoods of, of African Americans and, and, and the way that that sort of long-term trauma plays out in the community is such a powerful history yeah. and it ha- absolutely impacts where we, where we are, where we are today. Yeah. And, yeah. and even if yeah, you don't really understand where, why all that is there, but it's all there and it's just all, it's all there. It's all right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and here's the thing. So the St. Louis has a really weak mayor system, really strong aldermen. It, it always feels like, and then we have some weird border thing that we did in the 1860s and whatever. It's just a bizarre form of government that, mm-hmm. I don't know, but whatever. You, we can't use it as an excuse because it is what it is. Right. It's probably not going to change. Although we did get rid of some aldermen. Remember that? Like 2020, we're dra- dumping like 10. We're dumping half of them. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it sounds great. Right. Unless <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those aldermen. Yeah. But the messaging, the way that the mayor actually communicates, it's the bully pulpit to me that is the power of that office. So powerful. Period. Period. Mm-hmm. It's not really the policy making, because they don't have that much power in that part of it. But what they have to be is able to articulate a vision and lead people there just by the force of their personality, right? Right. Just the way that they can get... Okay. So, and the next mayor is going to have to be amazingly thoughtful at this conversation, this race conversation, if we're mm-hmm. going to get anywhere. This is correct. Correct? Yes. And this, these people from Crossroads, right? Mm-hmm. Can they help figure that out for our candidate? They, they very well could. Yes. Um, I think it's, it's, it's that, and it's also more than just that education. I mean, that's sort of a good foundation, but then understanding how, and in a sense, it, I guess, is sort of old-fashioned politics, yeah. how to politic around the issue in, a, in an innovative, modern way. Yeah. How to where politic you're around race. Reaching out, yeah. connecting, engaging with people that you haven't maybe talked to before, trying to come to some understanding, being open, being vulnerable, uh, vulnerable about issues and accepting someone else's lived experience, even if you may not agree with it. I mean, that sort of new way of leading, mm-hmm. I think, could be very exciting for us if we can get someone who can do that. Yeah. And there is a, like, a temptation. Well, it's funny because you probably don't have to say all those things to win the job. You, you can probably just kind of go back to what's worked in the past. It's, it's something that needs to be done. It's like this huge issue. And how do we... But the way you just said it, it's like, okay, that, that all makes... That's all makes me comfortable. Like, I think we could dive into that, right? Like, I don't know, but it's crazy to think about how scared most people are to, mm-hmm. to just take that first step. It's they are the, very scared. They're very scared. And I think... Yeah, yeah everybody is, really, in a yeah. lot of ways. 
there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of just fear, mm-hmm. just total fear. And you, you see it all the time in the way people react to each other and the way people, it's just, yeah, just you're scared. And mm-hmm. so it's crazy. But yeah, it, I, I think our jobs in communication and we're used to it is to keep pushing people pushing everyone, including mm-hmm. ourselves, to realize this issue's not going away. Yeah. And there's, it's one of those things that's never been, it's just sitting there. It's like this big thing that's killing us, right? It's so, I, I've, I've listened to a fascinating talk last week. I think it was last Friday. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the organization ComNet, Communications Network. Okay. They are a, what I think is a professional association for people in sort of the foundation space, okay. they're communications directors. That's who you are so, in the foundation space. Uh, no, I am not one oh. of these people. Okay. I mean, I, I am eager to learn from them. And gotcha. so they had their conference last week in, I want to say, Detroit. Yep. And um, so the heads of Kresge and Ford and all these great foundations were there talking about how they have learned kind of best practices around speaking to community Mm -hmm. about these kind of aspirational issues. And it was really fascinating because so many people who are in the space as practitioners talk about things from a, like an abstract racial equity, economic development sort of ivory tower perspective. But when, and it was this specific, there's an initiative going on at the Ford foundation around testing how people in the community receive these communications yep. and how they how it resonates with them or not. And so all of the um, results around that sort of big picture, right, lots of big words and clearly didn't resonate with right. people because people are like, what the hell are you what talking you? about? This is not my life. Like, right. you're, this is like reading in, like the New York Times. Yeah. I can't even, yeah. well, I'm tuning out. Yep. But when you brought an issue down to the individual, I'm sure I'm not telling you something no, that you aren't aware yeah, of, but, but we don't do it. when you bring something down to this an individual issue. level yeah. um, and talk about how it impacts sort of the, the way that they phrased something around every child should be able to go to school and, and feel like she has mm-hmm. a book and, and a lunch and a mm-hmm. whatever, like she is able to thrive. Okay. Saying something in that way yeah. was received so differently than speaking yeah. about children in the United States yeah. as sort of this amorphous blob of people. Right. And so even thinking about how leaders need to learn from that way mm-hmm. of, of, of thinking through how to best convey mm-hmm. the vision mm-hmm. is critical. Yeah. Because you can stand up at your bully pulpit and, and say lots of big words yeah. and kind of get it, yeah. but then not connect with people. And that's, that's so important. That's interesting. So, and you and I both know in this, for anything to get done probably here, it's going to take, I think St. Louis has a big heart when it comes to giving. And I think, you know what I'm saying? It has a very spirit of that way, mm-hmm. right? And it's, the mayor just has to be the person that can articulate this because the people are going to be the ones that have to do it, right? I think so, yeah, but I think that you'll also hear some valid complaints from the nonprofit sector okay. around nonprofit sector leadership and how there is fairly little collaboration in that space as well. Gotcha. So maybe, you know, political leadership can encourage and influence collaboration in other spaces, but it's not just sort of all on the shoulders of someone in a weak mayor position. I think that there needs to be 
that person needs to sort of call other people to action and then it needs to spread okay. from there. Okay. Yeah. What do you, what do you want to do in your future? What do you want to do? Are you happy where you're at? I don't know. Are you just going to keep working at the CDC? Um, well, like, I'm you're talking and I'm like, oh, you should work in politics. Like you've thought about it. It's crossed your mind. Something. I've had people ask me if I was interested in doing that. Yeah. Um, it sounds intriguing. Right? But I do love my job right, right you now. You do love your job. And it's uh, a very fulfilling yeah. job. And I am sort of given lots of leeway to, to be creative with my time mm-hmm. and manage a lot of fabulous people. Yeah. So. That's pretty rewarding. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So you probably, unless it's a really good offer. Unless. <laughs> so yeah. you're willing to talk, but you're really happy. Uh, and your job. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, it was lovely talking. Was there anything else that we should have covered about this topic? Um, I don't know. I mean, okay. I there I could go on all day. You could. I know you could. You're, but you're into that. Yeah. That's good. I'm super well, into it. I know. And I think it's it's it was, it's great because everyone's going to have to vote next year. This mayor race has come up. They're always hard. You know, I don't know. It's a big one. It's a big one. And this, to me, is the number one issue in St. Louis, right? Like everyone, I think everything starts here. Mm-hmm. Somehow, it's all around this issue, from education to jobs to yes. the economy. We're losing fourteen billion dollars by not figuring this thing right. out, and that's right. a big, big deal. Right? Are there any projects that you're personally working on in St. Louis through the bank? Um, you, weren't you talking about one with like here? Well, the biggest yeah. project that we have um, closed recently, which is kind of our, our new flagship project outside of this all the great sort of MX district mm-hmm. stuff that mm-hmm. we're sitting right around yep. is the arcade building. Yep. So that project was this Massive. crazy mashup of new markets, historic and, and affordable housing all tax together. credits all together. Yep. And we so figured out how to... So it a mixed to... use facility. Right. It's huge. So Webster University is on the ground floor and then um, actually first two floors maybe in parts. And then there's uh, both affordable and market rate units. And I think the whole building is almost full, I want to say. I don't remember wow. exactly what the lease-up progress is, but there's been very high demand for the units. So um, so we have definitely, and that's the great thing about working at U.S. Bank CDC, is just we do see in a very local impact way what we're doing, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is really fun. So great. Yeah. You get to walk into the Peabody yeah. Opera House and know that, that we were a part of figuring this out. Yeah. So, yeah. That's good. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. And for anyone who is listening, yes. vote in your local elections. Okay. Because local elections... Are huge. And local leaders Politics. play a larger role in your life than scary Donald Trump ever will. I, I know. That's what's funny. All politics is local. That's the truest thing ever. Super local. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you at the next neighborhood meeting. Yeah. That you and my wife will attend and I won't attend. Because <laughs> you got to watch the kids. I'm watching the kids. So you guys are doing your best. Exactly. All right. Thanks.